0: To see everyone this morning, whether you're joining us online or here in person, we just hope that your new year's off to a great start. Here we are, um, we're at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very last chapter, chapter seven. And as we've been working on this since the beginning of August, Jesus has been literally turning our worlds upside down as he talks about the fundamentals of his kingdom. And those fundamentals are so important to us as a church here because this is a church. It's all about those fundamentals, which is why we have this football. We remind ourselves each week of the importance of those. And hopefully you saw last week how important it will be with these fundamentals in order for us to reach our vision. So if you missed that last week, really encourage you to go back, check it out online. It's on Facebook. You can also find it on our new website, um, which is also still in development phase, but um, it's very functional, and encourage you to, to check that out. And it's so important that we stay up with this thing And the reason why I'm encouraging everyone to check this out is because we need to be praying through all those unique things that we've been talking about to reach our vision, in particular, these 12 pillars that you see up here. We hope that everyone in this church over the next couple of weeks or so will be praying about how God might call you to one, two, or maybe three of these pillars. And then in February, we'll have a little sign-up time, and you'll get a chance to kind of connect with other people who want to work on those same pillars. And by doing that, we think through 2022 and beyond, we'll start to position ourselves for all the different directions we see God calling us in order to achieve this vision that we're talking about. So that's really the focus of all this, and we really hope that um, you'll stay focused on that and and be praying for that over the next couple weeks, because it's so important as a church that we stay on mission. And we are a church with a vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking our next steps towards Christ together. Day by day and maybe one of these 12 pillars are your next step But we don't want to be one of those churches where we just meet on Sunday We want to be a church that's about the business of the kingdom every single day of the week We're also a church with flaws if you look around you won't find any perfect people And that's why we say here that it is okay to not be okay Every one of us is in process at some level or another but none of us want to stay in that not okay place Which is why we're also a church that loves you enough to tell you the truth in the person, words, and works of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus has been unpacking these truths, he continues to challenge many of us. And he's going to do the same thing in chapter 7 in these final weeks, in large part because the topic in chapter 7 is relationships. And while relationships can bring a lot of joy to our lives, let's be honest, they can be messy at times. And one of the main reasons they're messy is because of that text that Tyler just read for us, That issue of judgment, that judgment in our lives creates so many challenges. And I will tell you, um, as a pastor, whenever you prepare a sermon, you preach to yourself, And these last couple of weeks, as I've been working through this text and judgment, it is hugely convicting. And my prayer has been that it will be equally convicting for each and every one of us here. But even more so, because it's a message that we need to put into practice in our lives, but even more so, that we actually work it out. And I will tell you, by Monday at noon or so, You'll have had many opportunities already to deal with this judgment issue in your life. So let's go before the Lord. Let's ask his help, and then we'll dig in. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, grant us. Lord, we want to be your servants, obedient to your word. So teach us what you want us to know this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. So we're going to start... With the first two words, it's really important that we spend a little bit of time in these, judge not. It's about as direct and imperative as you could find. It's just two words, but there's so much in there. Now it's tempting to take it literally, such that we never assess a situation, or maybe would never have a view on anything. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Think about how much frustration an aggravation we would avoid if no one ever judged. What freedom we'd have to say what's ever on our minds or do whatever we want without any consequence. But then the more you think about it, then there's also would be no recourse whenever we're wronged. No justice. So we probably shouldn't take this literally. Moreover, if we did, it'd be totally inconsistent with Scripture, and especially where we're going to study next week, we're going to learn how important it is to be able to judge and a somewhat surprising response that we need to have to certain judgment. So to understand what Jesus means here, we need to first study the context and the nuances of this word judge. So judgment involves two phases. First, we discern, and second, we respond to what we've just discerned. Think of it like in a court of law. you got a judge who hears the case, gathers the information, and then first discerns truth to reach a verdict, and then second responds, usually by issuing some penalty. Now, in the discern phase, we attempt to perceive, to recognize, and to distinguish truth, to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong. Now, to do that well as a Christian, We simply must know the truth, which is only found in the person, words, and works of Jesus. So discernment requires a strong command of Scripture, a personal relationship with Jesus, and a willingness to follow the counsel of the Holy Spirit as we apply truth to practical situations. Now, of particular note, discerning truth requires a focus on the issue at hand and not a focus on the person who holds the position. Because when we shift our focus to the person, we enter in bias. And when there's bias, we really can't get after discerning the truth associated with it. Now, it is a very good thing for us to discern. And we'll see several more times throughout chapter seven that we need to be doing this. But the second phase now, the response, is where it starts to get a little tricky because once we've discerned and reached a verdict, we then respond. If the issue that we've discerned holds up to what we perceive to be truth or right, we absolve. We express our approval and we typically just move on. But if the issue does not hold up to what we perceive to be as truth or what is right, then we're prone to move into this space within this broader topic of judgment called condemnation, and this is almost always where things start to go sideways, in part because our expressions of disapproval are often so nasty. Harsh words, rejection, avoidance, eye rolls, the silent treatment, passive aggressive behavior. In fact, it's often so ugly that when we hear the word judgment, We tend to think of the word condemnation instead because most of us spend quite a bit of time in our lives being condemned by others. And, of course, we respond by condemning them back, which is why relationships get so messy. Condemnation also has this tendency to move beyond rejecting a person's view to where we reject the person outright. So when we step back, and view our passage in this context and understand the nuances of the root word here, it's pretty clear that Jesus is talking about the second phase when he says, don't judge. In particular, he's focused on our response, which is far too often condemnation. So how white might we begin to see if we have a condemnation issue in our lives? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this text, offers up five helpful criteria for us to consider. First, we must ask ourselves, do we have a self-righteous spirit? Do we possess a spirit or a sense of superiority that our position is usually right and everyone else is usually wrong? When's the last time we admitted that we were wrong about something? Now, out of my own self-righteous sense of superiority, I'm just going to assert that we're all guilty of this and I'll leave it to you to decide whether or not it applies. Of course, if you disagree with me, then it's pretty clear that you also possess the same spirit or sense of superiority that I do. Second, are we prone to being censorious? Don't you love it when you get a word like that? Pastor gives you a cool word, you can take that. All week long, you can be dropping that word censorious on people, but do we have a harsh and derogatory spirit about us. When we disagree with someone, when someone cuts us off in traffic, do we become derogatory? Do we use harsh words? And again, I'll just assert that we all have this tendency, in part because I just hope I'm not the only one who deals with this. Third, are we hypercritical? Do we take delight in finding faults in other people? When we're asked for our review of something, do we have a spirit that expects or even hopes to find flaws? Fourth, are we prone to discern out of ignorance? Do we reach conclusions without seeking all the facts? Are we quick to conclude a matter when the few facts that we have support our hypercritical perspective? Fifth, are we prone to ad hominem Another fancy word. Directing our response at the person instead of their position. In other words, rather than viewing their position as foolish, which it may very well be, we move on to condemning them as a fool or an idiot. And then we start to call into question their motives. We assume they're coming from a place of evil. Clearly, that person is not walking with the Lord. And if you're still not sure that this is that big of a deal, Let me mention just three names from our contemporary culture. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci. Now, I'm sure no one in here would ever condemn one of these guys. But I'm willing to bet we've all at least seen someone else do that in the past year. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, we've all probably gone after these guys at one level or another. We have that sense of it in our heart. Condemnation is pervasive throughout the entirety of our lives. So what are we supposed to do about this issue? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons why we need to stop it and one way to stop it. So the first reason why we shouldn't condemn others is that we invite the same judgment on ourselves. And it occurs on two levels, judgment from our fellow man and judgment from God. So the judgment from man is pretty straightforward. It's that boomerang effect of sorts that I've already mentioned. When we condemn our brothers and sisters, their natural response is to condemn us back. When we feel judged, our inner voice says, hey, don't judge me for my junk. Look at the junk you've got going on in your life. And the more harsh we are to others in our judgment, the more harsh they are to us in return. Also, you ever notice how those who like to condemn other people are the very ones who hate it the most when they're condemned? And you know why? It's because of that self-righteous thing we just discussed. When we have a self-righteous spirit, we can't stand it when someone points out an imperfection in us. So if we want to avoid people condemning us, Jesus says, don't condemn others. Next, When we judge others, we invite the same judgment from God. And I realize this is not a popular teaching these days, but make no mistake about it, we're all gonna be judged one day. Never ever lose sight of that fact. It's why we talk about having a healthy fear of the Lord a lot in this church. When we look across scripture, we find three main ways where we sit under God's judgment. The first, and most important, is our eternal judgment. There's only one of two outcomes, heaven or hell, for all eternity. And let's be crystal clear on this point. Every single one of us will stand before God on that day of judgment. And every one of us is absolutely 100% guilty, deserving of eternal condemnation, separated forever from our loving God. None of us can ever be good enough to be in the presence of our holy God, period. But when we respond to Jesus' call on our lives and place our faith in him, he stands in our place of condemnation. It's why he came in the flesh, to shed his blood, so that the verdict on Judgment Day for us is innocence, absolved no condemnation in this first area of judgment by God's good grace, that song we just sang about. It's his promise, getting something we don't deserve so we can be 100% assured of our salvation when we place our faith in him. It's the gospel truth that we celebrate in this church. Now the second area of judgment from God that we find throughout scripture happens while we're still on earth. And this is another very unpopular teaching Some of us will bristle in here at this, but it's all over the Bible, so we just simply can't avoid it. As believers, we're called to be obedient in Christ. In this case, Jesus says, don't condemn other people. When we do, we open ourselves to judgment from God that can result in tangible earthly punishment. We see it play out in multiple places throughout Scripture. When Paul writes about it, He even gives specific forms that it can take, sickness, illness, and even death. Ananias and Sapphira were struck down by lying about money they received for land that they sold to give to the church. We also see several places in scripture where God withholds his protection from the evil of this world as in Job or as in the Corinthian church. Similarly, we find examples where people are given over to their own sinful desires, as in Romans 1. Now, there are any number of other examples we could use, but just think about how much sickness, illness, and even death is associated with the sin of sex outside of marriage. STDs, assault, depression, trafficking, addiction, abortion. Incarceration, suicide, all the results of sexual sin. Now, a word of caution here. Be so very careful not to attribute every bad thing that happens to us as God's punishment. We live in a fallen world, and bad things just happen. But when they do, it's probably a good time to check our hearts. Do we have that spirit of condemnation in us? Do we need a wake-up call for repentance in our lives? And of course, just to be really clear, this has no impact whatsoever on our salvation in any way, shape, or form because that's secured by Christ's blood and Christ's blood alone. But make no mistake about it, our disobedience carries with it real and tangible consequences in this life. The third judgment from God impacts believers when they get to heaven. Again, this has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. That's Jesus' blood. We've seen it a few times already in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus mentions heavenly rewards. And we don't get much information about what those rewards will be, but they keep coming up, so they must be a thing. Paul also mentions it several times. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, for we must always appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." Note, too, how the text says we'll be judged by the measure we use to judge others. And if you think about that, it actually makes a ton of sense, because the very notion of judgment suggests that we know the difference between right and wrong. And when we feel strongly enough about the wrong we've observed, To apply what we believe to be a just penalty so if we know how others should behave and we think it's important enough that they be penalized harshly then it only follows that we ought to be subject to the same harsh measure we apply to others so the first reason why we shouldn't judge is because we don't want to be judged by our fellow man or by god and even though we're guaranteed a spot in heaven by Jesus' blood, we still face judgment that has consequences both in this life and in the life to come. And the second reason why we shouldn't judge others is that it makes us hypocrites. Now, Jesus has already taught repeatedly on this whole hypocrite topic, so we're not gonna belabor the matter. But once again, he uses an extreme example. To illustrate his point, foreign objects in our eyes. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and try to take it out for him, but fail to notice the log in your own eye? Now this is a particularly noteworthy of all afflictions because something in our eye requires immediate attention. We can kind of deal with a splinter in our finger, Um, you know, you can work through that all day long until you get home and you can finally remove the thing. But if you get a, even a fleck of sawdust in your own eye, you got to stop what you're doing, and you got to get it out immediately, because you're essentially blinded. So let's not miss the point here. We're all pretty much walking around blinded by the logs in our eyes, the mess in our lives. So how is it even possible that we might see clearly enough to even notice the mess in other people's lives? Surely we don't see clearly enough to be in a position to judge others to the point of condemnation. And if that's not bad enough, how could we ever think we're able to remove the speck out of someone else's eyes? How is that even possible when we just don't have a speck? we got an entire log in our eye. I mean, you got to be able to see very clearly to remove something like a speck of sawdust out of someone's eye. So Jesus is demonstrating how we aren't really even capable of judging or condemning someone else. After all, we don't even know the half of it, all that's going on within someone. Only Jesus knows that. When we sit in judgment, condemning others, we do something so egregious, we essentially act as though we are God. There we are, standing in line with every other human, waiting our turn to be judged by God. You see the hypocrisy in this because we essentially jump out of line, crawl up on God's throne, render our own uninformed verdict, condemning others with our self-righteous, censorious, hypercritical, ignorant, personal attack spirit that we have, and then we hop off and go get back in line and wait our turn for our judgment. Isn't that the pinnacle of absurdity? But that's absolutely what we do every single time we judge others to the point of condemnation now sometimes we're tempted to justify this behavior because we claim to be standing up for truth but if we're so concerned about standing up for truth why not just deal with the log in our own eye now the truth is that we care very little about truth whenever we condemn other people there's just something about the person that we don't like, and so we condemn them for the very same things that we do. This is the height of hypocrisy and such an assault on Jesus and his authority as the judge of all men that he simply, clearly, and decisively directs us. Don't judge. So what are we supposed to do? Very simple. Deal with your own issues before you even think about helping someone else. It's kind of like when you're in an airplane, and they talk you through those emergency landing procedures. And they tell you, make sure you put your oxygen mask on first before you help the person sitting next to you get theirs on. In other words, when you see something in another person that offends you, immediately stop and examine yourself. First ask, how must I address this same issue in my own life? and be very careful about letting yourself off the hook. Second, ask, how is my spirit? Is it self-righteous, censorious, hypercritical, ignorant, prone to ad hominem? Because unless we get our own spirit right, we won't be in a place to see clearly enough to help our brothers and sisters. Third, and once we've removed our own log, ask, How can I now graciously assist my brother without condemning? As if to say, hey, brother, I see you got a smudge on your face. I got one just like it. Been dealing with it for years. I found this rag to be somewhat helpful, but I got to keep after it every single day. I got another one here for you. You're welcome to it if you'd like it. I don't know if it will help, but I love you, and I'd sure hate to see you continue to deal with all that I've dealt with because of that smudge on your face. Do you see that? The first phase of judgment, discernment, he's got a smudge on his face. I got one, too. Smudge is bad. It needs to be dealt with. But then the second phase, no condemnation. Just a spirit of grace and love, just like Jesus did for us, so that we can stand on that last day, the day of judgment, with absolutely no condemnation. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Jesus, we thank you for your convicting word today. Grant us the ability to discern and step with your truth. But at the same time, please help us to reject the urge to crawl up on your throne and condemn our fellow man. Give us a spirit of grace, we pray, that we may live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We praise your mighty name, Jesus, and we thank you for this word today. Amen. So for our response time today, I'd like us to all just take a couple minutes and consider this graphic up here. Ask God about how this is working out in your life. Maybe it's time to do a little confessing, a little repenting, looking to change our ways. But Let's just take a few minutes or so in quiet and reflect and speak with God about this. So judgment to the point of condemnation has no place in Christ's kingdom. Jesus has been so good to us, so good to us, that he stands in our place of condemnation. So how then can we ever believe that we could sit condemning someone else? That's a truth of the gospel that I hope will continue to convict us throughout this week. Just pray that we would live in remembrance of that gospel truth. And remember that that rag too. And how we deal with others, when we know we've discerned something that's true that needs to be addressed, but we do it full of grace and of